one might expect was still in John. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and we are, and I'm certain the verses that I'm getting ready to talk about this morning, uh, we've, we've heard talked and spoken out loud and read a few different times already, uh, but that's just fine because there's a lot in this narrow bit of scripture that we are, that we keep coming back to and coming back to and coming back to, to unpack. And, um. This one, it seems interesting that this, that John was the gospel that would really push David into wanting to talk about spiritual things because it's arguably the least woo-woo kind of spirit stuff going on in the book. Like there's all this crazy things happening. Yes, it's clearly spiritual things happening. But as far as saying this, this line here in John 8 of Father of Lies that we've talked about for a few different weeks now, that being the one that jumped out and grabbed him is interesting. So we're still in chapter 8, and I'm going to be reading, starting at verse 44. And so it's in the middle of this conversation that we've read a few different times between Jesus and the religious elite, where he's talking to them, and they're asking him about, well, how do you have all this authority? And Jesus says, well, if you were actually behaving in a godly way, you would be listening to me, but you're actually behaving like your father. And there's this back and forth between the two of them. And starting at verse 44, we see this where Jesus says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that you are not of God. And it's interesting, there's this little point in there where, where Jesus says, you are doing the same kind of works that your father does. And then he blatantly tells them, your father is the devil, which on top of being ever so kind of slightly comedic to look at somebody and say, your daddy is the devil. Uh, there's this extra little layer of something in there that I don't know if we always pick up on, because whenever we read our Bibles, if several of us have been used to reading them or we hear these passages over and over and over again, we can kind of unintentionally glaze over a little bit and move forward. But we, I want to unpack those few verses because the direct implication in there, and especially if Jesus says, you do the works of your father and your father is the devil, then the direct implication is that we as human beings— are directly involved with the works of other spiritual beings aside from God. And so that's what we're going to unpack a little bit this morning. So I'm glad you're here to hear the most probably least Baptisty Baptist sermon you're ever going to hear in your entire life. And if we're going to do, if we were, I don't know, some people, I... I get a kick out of going to little tiny Baptist churches every once in a blue moon and listening to the pastor reliably through and through. They almost always, even if it's never like on their little PowerPoint, they almost always in their notes at least name their sermons. 
I've never once done that, but I get a kick out of like hearing what they've titled their sermon. And so I figured a good thing for this morning would be if we were to title it, I want somebody with like a thick southern accent to, to say angels and demons and whatnot. And I want... Yeah, put the H in front of the W, so it's whatnot. That's a good... I think if, if I were a titling person, that would be a good one. I'm not. I'm just saying it's a, that's in the air. That could be a good title for this morning. And uh, what I, so re- immediately right off the bat, what I'm not going to be doing this morning is trying to tell you all to find the, the devil that's hidden under everything. I'm not here to tell you that the devil is in your rock and roll music or in somebody's tight, you know, acid washed pants, because I'm sure some of you all probably heard that at some point in your life. Uh, the devil is not in your board games or in your Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think the devil is in your children's video games or whatever. I'm not here to tell you that the devil's in something, Bobby Boucher. That's not what I'm here to do this morning. I'm just here to talk to you all about the concept, and it sounds kind of high and mighty and lofty, but some people like to slap the title on it of spiritual warfare. And sometimes I think we could just ground it down and make it a little bit more simpler and just call it living life in light of a fallen world and knowing the message of Jesus. It's just another aspect of that. And so what I want to do is to help us understand, just because we live in a fairly, and this is not a knock on us here in this room or even in our broader community or even it's not even like a knock against America. This is just a generally Western thing. We're very secularized. That's just how we are. We've grown very accustomed to the generally classical liberal worldview of you go over there, you do your thing, you don't bother me. I come over here, I do my thing, I don't bother you. And we all just sort of get along. We all are just, we we generally tend to be fairly polite. I'm not typically worried when I leave a door from any particular place, somebody's going to come along and hit me in the face. That's never really been a concern of mine because we live in a generally polite area. We also live in a generally post-educated world where we just rely upon our basic understanding of all things. And usually, I mean, that's like a basic filtering system of if I bite into an apple, it's going to taste like an apple unless something's very wrong and then it no longer tastes like an apple. You know, if I sit down on a chair, I trust it's going to hold me unless something's horribly wrong. So we just have these basic filters and usually, because we're very worried about getting along in our daily lives, our basic filters don't have a slot, generally speaking, for things like angels and demons. Even if we are church folk and we talk every week about God and clearly spiritual things that we can't see or taste or feel or touch or things like that. We just don't have a a compartment really in our head for all this stuff. And to a certain degree, I think that's intentional. I don't have an entire Sunday morning to unpack that, but like if you've ever read the screw tape letters, there's like a whole great bit in there because it's really one demon trying to teach a lesser demon how to be a proper demon. Like it's just this dramatized back and forth correspondence between two demons and C.S. Lewis just kind of wrote this whole thing out. And it's really interesting. And one of them is this lesser demon thinks, I'm going to bother this really secular dude over here. And the other one says, why? He doesn't believe in anything spiritual already, so why would you bother him? He's great. Leave him be. He doesn't think there's anything beyond his own nose. 
If you prove otherwise, suddenly he's got a reason to start thinking about God. Just let him alone. And one of the greatest quotes out of Hollywood, I can't even remember the title of the movie, but it was, I just remember it was a Kevin Spacey movie, but everybody knows the quote that the, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was to convince people he's not real. And so if we, we just generally don't have a slot in our brain for that because spiritual things, if they see a broadly secular society where we're, I'm not calling you fat. It's a, it's a, you know, general catch-all term, but if we're fat and happy, meaning we're provided for, we don't feel like we need anything, why would they pester you? We can grow very numb to our need for God whenever everything's right in front of us and provided for us. And so it's, if you feel strange this morning and you think maybe Nathan's the crazy one out of the three preachers, that's fine. That's fine. But I'm just saying, if you think I'm the crazy one, you come here every week to believe in a God that we believe was born from a virgin 2,000 years ago. So you're right here with me in the crazy train, (laughs) okay? So uh, I think we can make a little spot in our minds to keep spiritual entities and how we interact with these things in our daily lives uh, good and sharp. I think that's a healthy and proper thing to do and why I'm talking about it this morning. And on the off chance that you still are having some discomfort about this and you think maybe Nathan's crazy, I'm going to back this up here a little bit from Ephesians 6 uh, at the closing of the letter. Right at verse 12, Paul says something incredibly interesting where he tells them, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the, and here's where it gets interesting, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our concern, and I think it's fine, we live in a society that invites people to be very concerned about what's happening around them sociopolitically. And to a certain degree, they had that back in Paul's day too because Rome had a senate and they were there was kind of, I mean, it was an empire at this point, but there was kind of a a social democracy thing going on there. So they had this concept of we should be concerned about what's going on around us. But Paul just blatantly told them, your primary concern is not with whatever Caesar's doing or Herod is doing. Your primary concern is whatever's happening with cosmic powers and authorities of darkness. That's your primary concern. Because that seems to be God's primary concern because he sent Jesus to deal with it. If God's primary concern was to topple another regime, he could have done that. And he didn't. He came and tackled cosmic powers of darkness. So, in all throughout the Gospels, we see all these interesting stories. And I think maybe sometimes we are... are best understanding for a lot of us of what all this looks like, what spiritual warfare looks like, probably most likely, like David said last week, from the devil, probably comes from Hollywood and pop culture more than anything from the Bible. Uh, If I talk to you and I say the word exorcism, the immediate thing that probably pops into your brain is a little red-headed girl covered in green makeup 
spewing out pea soup and her head twirling around. That's probably what some of you all think of, or like whatever the latest Hollywood movie where somebody's eyes rolled back into their head and somebody floats into the air and starts speaking with multiple voices and the camera starts shaking and all these dramatic things. And there's always some dude wearing a white collar, throwing water at people, shouting the power of Christ compels you. And there's all these little games that people have to play with demons. Like for some reason you have to find out their name. I don't know why that's in every single Hollywood depiction of an exorcism, but they're like, we have to find out its name or else we can't get rid of it. I, I frankly don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't really care what its name is. But so these, we, that's what we come to expect whenever we think about all this stuff. Or if we were to think of like an angel or something, there is always just some big buff pretty dude who's got big gigantic wings and sometimes they make them look cool with some kind of a weapon other times they're just kind of in a white robe and they're backlit kind of doing this and so the bible doesn't really give us any of those pictures whatsoever because if you were to read the actual descriptions of like angels the good ones in the bible you would think somebody was on hallucinogens they're very vivid, very strange descriptions. They're not pretty men in white robes with big giant wings. They're kind of frightening when they're described out loud. You know, like in Elijah, there's a description of an angelic being that's literally a series of wheels inside of other wheels and the wheels are covered in eyes. I don't have a slot in my brain for that. And apparently their whole job is to hold up God's throne. That's the way they're described. They're wheels inside of wheels covered in eyes and they hold God's throne up like a palanquin. That's the way Elijah describes them. Okay. That does not look like anything I've ever seen in a movie. So clearly there's already kind of an incongruence between what we expect and what the Bible tells us. And the main thing, really all you need to know about angels, because we're told very little about them in the Bible, is that if they have a name, the name is usually just whatever their job is. You know, so we have seraphim and cherubim and things like that. And usually they're, you know what they are based upon what they're doing in scripture. So if you have angels, seraphim literally worship. That's their job. If you read about them in Revelation or in Isaiah, their job is to worship. And they proclaim things in heaven. Whenever I talked about the wheels, Elijah describes them as holding up God's throne. Same thing with the cherubim. We only hear them described as protecting things that God tells them to protect or carrying God's throne along with the wheel angels. And Paul just says angels are ministering spirits. I know some of you all probably are old enough to remember that weird phase in like the 70s and the 80s. I wasn't around for it, so I don't remember it. But I was told about it where everybody was really obsessed with angels for some reason specifically. And it took Billy Graham an entire book to, poke, to quote Paul to just say, they're just ministering spirits, guys. Calm down. So that's all we really need to know is that about angels is that these are ministering, protective, helpful spirits. Because that's all scripture really tells us. We get a few more details on the other side of things. And those details don't include the weird rules that you see in Hollywood. Like you have to do so many things and you have to sprinkle so many things and you have to find out a demon's name or whatever. We don't get any of that in the Bible. We see them. We see what demonic things tend to do. 
uh, but there's never like a rule book or a rubric given for what to do with these things. We just sort of have to watch Jesus because he's the only one that had a consistent example of dealing with them. And then we get a couple more examples of it in Acts. And that's all they did was say, hey, Jesus did this, so we're going to do that. And that's all we've got to go off. But I think it's a pretty good example because if God did it, it's probably worth you trying. That's my rule of thumb here. And so we need to also kind of answer the question because what we mostly see in the Gospels and what Jesus is dealing with is what we colloquially call possession. And I don't know why we specifically call it that. Maybe it's a Hollywood thing because whenever we read scripture, scripture usually just says somebody was afflicted with a spirit. They don't usually necessarily use this word like somebody is being puppeted by something dark. We just seem to see that somebody's being plagued in some fashion by a dark spirit. Sometimes it's very pronounced, like with the story of Legion, where dark entities are clearly communicating directly through a person. And then sometimes somebody's totally fine one moment, and then the next moment they're having like a seizure. But usually they're themselves. Or we even hear about Mary Magdalene, who was afflicted by multiple dark spirits. That's, that's all we get from Mary Magdalene. You know, there's like all these weird fairy tale stories that come up about her, but all we really hear about her in the Bible is that she had like multiple demons in her and Jesus cast them out at some point and she said, I need to follow that guy. Which, I mean, I would too if I had seven demons and somebody casually came up and took them out of me. So we get more of this side of things. And these are the things that I really want to talk with you about. Because we have all of these characters in our head. And these things, if you're here and you believe and you're sealed by the Spirit, the first thing I got to tell you is I'm not, like I said, I'm not here to tell you to find the devil hidden under every rock. Because if you're sealed by the Spirit, you're not in any danger of this of like these sorts of problems, of something trying to inhabit you or, or to plague you. And that seems interesting about why would that even be possible in the first place. And we kind of have to answer that by going all the way back to Genesis. So in the same way that we understand who the devil is by going all the way back to Genesis and understanding his character as being a liar, because that's the first thing we see him do is being a liar, we have to understand how that's possible for us. And so in Genesis, in chapter 1... It's verse 26, and I'm certain you all are familiar with that passage, where it says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have domain over the fish and the sea and over the birds and the heavens and all the stuffs. But it's that first line we want to focus on right there. Let us make man in our image. And if you ask people what does it mean to be made in God's image, you usually get these very sort of lofty philosophical answers of, well, it means that you can reason. That's what makes you a person. Or like either they try to ground it in something very, very philosophical, basically the fancy way of saying you can think, or we don't really describe it at all and we put it over here and just say that's what makes you a person. And we still don't really know what it means. Well, we run into a whole lot of problems if we go with those descriptions, because one is a non-answer and the other one has a whole ton of little things to trip over. Like, what do we do with babies? They don't have the capacity to reason. Either in utero or fresh little babies. They don't, I mean, the, the, the brains are pudding, essentially. No wrinkles yet. 
We're still developing those. They have no real faculties. So if it's your ability to reason, then does that suddenly take babies out of God's image? Or if somebody's like in a coma, or if, even if you're just taking a nap, you are no longer able to reason because you're probably having weird dreams about how you can like jump a mile in the air and all these sorts. So we have all these problems. So clearly it can't just be your ability to think because sometimes we don't think very well as people and yet we still have God's image. And so I, I, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive here, but don't let your eyes glaze over because we're not going here very long. If you actually take what that Hebrew word is for image, it's tselem. You all think Hebrew's just about the sounds. They have fun little letters that make other little sounds that we don't have. And I love that, the letter, that letter that makes the sound. It's literally a T-S sound. It's like a, something you would do to a dog. You're like, and so it's, it begins the word, tselem. So tselem. And selim doesn't just mean image there. Whenever we see it in its other variations, it's not really talking about people. What that word means in its other variations throughout the Old Testament usually means a carved image or an idol. God is describing you in the same language that he talked about, false idols. What does he mean by that? Well, all that means is that here's the thing. We, we try to put a whole lot of stupidity onto past cultures because we feel super enlightened. Past cultures were not so dumb to think that if I carve a rock, the rock is actually somehow magically God. What they were trying to do was build a little house for a God that maybe if I make a nice pleasing image here, the God will stay here and linger with me and I will have their presence and their blessing over my crops or whatever. And so whenever God says, I'm going to make you or me or anybody else in my image, he's creating you with the capacity to hold his presence. And as it turns out, we can hold other things too. And that's where the problem comes in, where the danger comes in. Because we have these other portions of the Gospels, and one of them is super interesting. It's kind of a parable, but you can also read it a little bit more literally in my mind, too, where Jesus says, he, he's describing the culture, but he's doing it through this language of demonology where he says, yeah, and if I expel a dark spirit out of somebody, and nothing good comes to fill that void in their life, that same dark spirit is going to come back. And not only is it going to come back, several more are going to come with it. And the person who was initially plagued by a dark spirit is now going to be worse off. And I think we can read that a little bit more literally because we meet people like Mary Magdalene in Scripture who are plagued by multiple spirits. So clearly we have the capacity to in ourselves somehow temple other things if not God. And that's, that's the problem. And there seem to be about three real fronts here that we have to deal with spiritual warfare. And the first one is basically the kind of things that we see in the Gospels. I if you're a note taker, I just say that's the me category. How am I interacting with something dark what am I potentially allowing into my life? Now, here's the thing. Like I said, if you are a follower and you have been sealed by the Spirit, you have permanently within you, and you're not going to lose it, the Holy Spirit. You're in no danger of 
potentially housing something inside of you that shouldn't be there. Because once the Holy Spirit takes ground, including you, I'm a firm believer, he never seeds that ground. You're sealed, you're fine. That doesn't mean, like Paul said, that whenever he says our battle is with these cosmic entities, that doesn't mean we're outside of influence. We're imperfect people and we live in a fallen context. So even if we're sealed, that doesn't keep the enemy or any other power of darkness from trying to whisper things into your ear. And that can look like a number of different things. Some of them are incredibly practical and you wouldn't even think about it. It might very well just be you on your phone at night doom scrolling on, a, on websites or forums or whatever else that's just bad for your soul. Some, Paul calls those kinds of things footholds. And even if we can't, even if we're sealed and we don't house something in ourselves because the Holy Spirit is there, that doesn't mean something can't influence us or bother us from the outside. Whenever I was 18, 19, something like that, and Katie and I were just dating, uh, she went to college and one of her roommates totally normal, like not on any psych meds, no anxiety, no depression, things like that. Totally normal. I mean, she was homeschooled, but um, I'm sorry. Homeschooling is great. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Uh, But that was it. Like she's a totally normal person and her whole life And I don't know what this person was thinking. I'm sure they had the best of intentions, but she went on this mission trip. And this person decided to take a whole bunch of teenagers. And with zero warning, no timing, no, hey, let's talk to parents about this, because they were in a completely different country. Somebody decided, we're going to take all of these teenagers and unpreparedly walk them into an exorcism in a different country. And for most people there, they just went into a room and prayed for a lady who was acting strangely. For her, she told us that I walked in and I could see something. And she couldn't describe it to me. But she said, I saw it holding her ears. And every time somebody would try to say Jesus to her, it would hold onto her ears tighter. And it took a long time to pray before this thing went away. And she was a believer, so she wasn't scared that this thing was going to bother her in that way. But for years after that, periodically, she would just see dark things just kind of lurking or bothering other people. Not all the time, but periodically. And my wife and I, And one of the teachers, only one, at a Bible college, were the three people, the first people in her life to tell her, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. And I'm sorry that nobody's taking you seriously up to this point, even her family, because we just don't have a compartment for that in our mind. She, in and of herself, was in no real danger. But the enemy knew, I can bother you and rob you of your peace. So sometimes it's overtly spiritual. The enemy is just trying to bother us, rob us of our peace. Or sometimes our spiritual warfare 
is our own fallen nature. And we think more of our own fallen nature because we're imperfect people. And probably nine times out of ten, it's our own fallen nature that's causing our problems. But it's also worth praying if you can't get this thing figured out to God in the name of Jesus. If there's something here beside myself that's causing this sin, this foothold, this thorn in my side to linger, I need it gone in the name of Jesus. And you'd be surprised the least charismatic, the most buttoned-up people you'd ever seen in your life had said, I literally just prayed for whatever spirit of blank that was bothering me to stop bothering me, and the problem went away. That's interesting. And we feel weird about that because we don't have a box for it, but all at the same time, that's what we see in the New Testament. And so we shouldn't be afraid of it. And we should lean into that. And understand that even though we're safe, we're fine, we're sealed, we're not outside of influence. And so even though it's mostly probably us and our own fallen nature and the things that we have to wrestle out with the Holy Spirit, there are times where it's worth considering stopping praying on the me level. If there's some sort of spirit, some sort of power of darkness that's bothering me, then I need it gone in the name of Jesus. And see what happens. It's worth a shot. If you've never tried it, it's worth a shot. Then there's like the we level. This one's a little bit harder to pick up on because sometimes this usually just tends to be, and what I mean by we is I mean here on the church level, this tends to look a lot more like footholds. Those little, those little chinks in the armor, like those things that annoy us. And powers of darkness like to mess with those things. Maybe something's been going on for a while and we either ignore it or we make little passive-aggressive comments every now and then about it. And at some point, somehow, some way, something extra outside of us has decided, oh, there's a foothold here and just decides to prod you, just a, just a fuzz further. And suddenly we have division and other sorts of heartbreak and problems within our own walls. And those are similar situations where we can surround one another and pray for one another. And odds are it's probably just us and our own fallenness, but it's still, as, as a body, worth it to come together and say, if there is some sort of spirit that is taking advantage of our weakness, then be gone in the name of Jesus. And then on the... The last sort of level, and this is the more macro level, if you're the note takers, the everyone level. So there's the me, there's the we as far as the church, and then there's the macro level for everyone. And these are pretty, pretty obvious when you sit back and look at them. These are our social, political, cultural things, the things that go on in the world that don't make a lick of sense outside of something Honestly, not to sound crazy, but something demonic has to be going on. And I don't mean that because, hey, that person is bad, that person is evil, that person is demonic because, you know, they're in the music industry and so they put on devil horns on a, on a rock and roll concert. People have been doing that for like the last forever now. I mean, you know, because every time I turn on the news, people are freaking out because they're like, they're doing devil stuff in the music industry. I'm like, they've been doing that since Ozzy Osbourne. That's not new, guys. Let's take a breather for a moment. They don't even, they, they just think they're being edgy. 
and transgressive. I mean, that's not good. I'm not saying that's good. But what I'm saying is maybe that might be a tiny bit of just a flashy distraction from things that are actually meaningfully going on in the world around us. If we're so distracted by the big shiny thing over here, we're not paying attention to what the enemy's actually doing over here. And they tend to be either completely obvious or kind of subversive. And the best way, the best way for the enemy to work is in the subtle, like the sweet poison, like we see all the way back in the beginning. And sometimes that looks a lot like making you feel bad. In the West, it's trying to make you feel bad for your convictions. Because we're generally polite. We are. We're generally polite here in the West. And so if somebody says, well, why don't you, why do you care what that person does over there? They're not bothering you. Let them do their thing. They feel fulfilled. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to hurt their feelings. That's not my objective. My objective is they're rotting their soul from the inside out. And I think that Jesus is the only answer. And he confronts everything, not just what they're doing, but what I'm doing if I overeat. Jesus will literally talk to me about that. Because in some ways, if I eat too many Snickers in a day, I feel like I'm rotting my soul from the inside out, not just my teeth. Because spiritual things happen on multiple levels. And those are usually it. It's the subtle poison where it's people feel happier and more fulfilled doing that thing that's dark. And there's a million examples of them. I already know you got like 10 of them going through your mind. I don't need to unpack all those. That's not what the sermon's about this morning. But those things, yeah, we see those. And then there's the other things that don't make any sense outside of something demonic. And so here's... I thought angels and demons and whatnot was the landmine. This is probably the biggest landmine I'm stepping on, and I'm doing it on the internet. So let's buckle up. All right. So if we want to take a look at something like bigger, broader, that's clearly demonic going on, because there's no other reasonable explanation for it, and you want a good tangible example of this, uh, then the other one that I have to, the only one I can really think out that we can all gravitate to immediately, uh, that will make a whole lot of sense, is anything at all that happens with the nation of Israel. Because we have to look at this on paper. This is a tiny little country, approximately the same size as like New Jersey. In the grand scheme of things, this is a very tiny little spit of dirt. And most of that dirt is not very fertile. In that whole portion of the world, it's all just brown. Like if you look at it from space, it's brown. It's desert. Whenever God promises that land to them in the Old Testament, and he says, I'm going to give you a land overflowing with milk and honey. And I always look at like the space maps. I'm like, it's dirt, God. (laughs) It's because he was going to help them make it into a land of milk and honey. That was the point. But you know, it's just like, it's dirt. It's useless dirt. Why does anybody care? And for some reason, over the last several thousand years, every major superpower in the world has decided that little tiny spit of dirt is the one I have to conquer. Every single one of them, the Greeks, the Romans, the Persians, the Brits, everybody has decided they're going to conquer it. And not a single one of them ever does right by the people who live there no matter what their ethnicity is, because there have always been multiple ethnicities living in the area. So why do we only care about that tiny sliver of dirt? Why does the whole world hang with unbated breath by what that specific tiny little few square miles of dirt does and not all the other same dirt right next to it? Well, that's the only patch of dirt that God ever spoke about. 
It's the only one he's ever made promises about. It's the only one he ever told a group of people that he elected, I'm going to do something with this land for you. Nobody cares what happens like in the boot heel of Missouri except the people who live there. Why does the world care about this one little patch of desert? I would be willing to wager it's because the enemy has seen that God has declared a promise over some of the people that live there. And if he can keep God from committing, uh, from keeping a promise, any promise, then God is no longer God. And if he can take this one basic promise of saying, hey, Jewish people, I'm going to give you some real estate and keep that intention for thousands of years in front of the entire world, then God suddenly to a lot of people doesn't look very godly. And that's the whole point, is to get you to question things. It's not to, you don't have to fly off the handle tomorrow and have a complete and total crisis of faith and suddenly say, I'm an atheist, I'm done with all this, and huff and puff and walk away. It's just enough to get you to question his character. Because notice in the beginning, the enemy didn't tell Eve, yeah, that God guy, he's a jerk. He just doesn't want you to eat an apple. Or whatever the fruit was. I don't know, maybe it was a persimmon or something. And I don't think God, who made everything, particularly cares if you eat a piece of fruit. I don't think that's the problem. The, the point that the enemy made was to just get Eve to question just enough for her to think, for even just the smallest moment, I know something better than God does. And so sometimes, yeah, you do got to worry about your kids' video games and your kids' music and this and that. But sometimes it's also just people who don't know any better trying to be transgressive and get the spotlight on them because we live in a culture where news lasts like two seconds. You can think of like a big deal thing that most people just don't care about anymore and it only happened like a few months ago. Like, Think about the fact that like literally less, not even six months ago, the entire world's Facebook feeds were nothing but Israel flags. And now we're right back to talking about whatever's happening at the Oscars. I don't care. Because we're easily distractible. So some of it's just the enemy saying, hey, look at the big shiny thing over here. But sometimes you actually do have to pay attention to what your kids are watching. Always pay attention to what your kids are watching and putting into their brains. Aside from, you know, devil stuff, it could just be garbage, you know. Could be like the television equivalent to candy, even if it's not demonic, it's just garbage. Um, but any, you know, there's multiple fronts here, and sometimes it's smaller and subtler because the enemy is just whispering into your ear that five more minutes of doom scrolling, one more little thing to eat that maybe you don't need to eat, one more click here or there. You can give up whatever you're saying that you're trying to deny that you're slowly getting addicted to is. You can quit that tomorrow. You don't have to worry about it today. You've had a hard day. Relax. Indulge a little bit. 
And we want to put spiritual warfare out of our minds because we're thinking of little girls and twisting heads and puking pea soup and whatever else. And that's usually not what the enemy's up to. And you don't need to play games with whatever's going on as far as powers of darkness or this or that. Because we don't see Jesus playing around with any of these things that are influencing people or bothering people. He literally either just prays for them or just tells them to be gone. And they do it. Because it turns out everything, even powers of darkness, have to listen to the king of the universe if he says something. And so how do, how do we do that? And I just want to read and end off with this last little bit here from Matthew 17. And this is shortly uh, after uh, the disciples tried to cast out a dark spirit from somebody and it didn't work. And that's Matthew 17, 14 through 21. So starting at verse 14, it said, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, came up to Jesus kneeling down before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. And so Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. That's it. He rebukes it and it leaves. And the boy was healed instantly. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately saying, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And if you look very, very closely, whenever I said I was going to read till 21, some of your translations, you might not see a 21. And we've already talked about why that happens sometimes, so I don't need to unpack all that here for you this morning. And so you might need to shift down into your footnotes, but Jesus adds on this interesting little caveat of these types of spiritual beings only come out with prayer and fasting. And that seems interesting. So here's, here's what you need to understand. What Jesus isn't trying to say is that you need to somehow spiritually level up. You don't need to go home and start uh, fasting and praying and shaving your head and crawling over cobblestone or whatever else you think in order to go onto a plane on your next mission trip and be able to just backhand a demon out of somebody. That's not how this works. Spiritual warfare doesn't work like a video game or like the gym where you just go and work out hard enough and suddenly you can beat up demons. The acts of prayer and fasting, the spiritual disciplines, which there are even more than prayer and fasting, but these are the two most tangible ones of prayer and fasting, are things that just bring you closer and closer and closer to God's presence. And the only thing that seems to get rid of darkness is holiness. And you can't bring that about no matter how much you pray and fast. But if you are sealed by the Spirit, you already have His presence. 
but you can keep drawing closer and closer and closer by just living the way Jesus instructed. By drawing closer to his presence. And the darkness will naturally recede because God is light. It's a very tangible example for us to think of as God is light and the powers of darkness are dark. If I were to shut off all the lights in here and I were to tell Keith, Keith, we're going to turn the lights back on and I want you to grab as hard as you can onto a little bit of dark and when the lights turn on, I want you to keep holding onto the dark. When we turn on the lights, Keith is just going to look like a freak doing this because the dark will naturally go away when the room is filled with light. And so wherever the presence of Jesus is, the darkness will naturally recede. So just keep drawing closer and closer and closer to God's presence like David preached about last week. And the powers of darkness will just naturally melt away as a byproduct. And so this morning, uh, in our time of response, and the band can come up and get ready to play, I want us to just take a time to contemplate what's happening in our lives on the me level, on the we level, in, in the bigger and, and broader world, uh, those things that are either the sweet, subtle poison or that are just kind of rotting away at our culture, or if it's the big obvious things like geopolitical happenings or wars that are heavily influenced by God's promises. It, if you have something that's bothering you, that's plaguing you, where you've given the enemy a personal foothold in your life unintentionally, or you've just neglected a sin in your life because you have decided somewhere in your soul you like that a little bit more than King Jesus. And that's not a knock. We all do that. Um, then maybe you can just take a time to either sit there or find somebody else and pray with them. And on the chance that you've never considered maybe there's something outside of myself that's taking advantage of this foothold and bothering me, then we will pray with you that whatever spirit might be bothering you would be gone in Jesus' name. If there's something that we've let linger as a body that we didn't even mean to because we've had higher things on the priority list or we've just been doing this, that, or the other thing, if you've got any kind of little quiet bitterness or passive aggression inside of yourself that's bothering you here in this room, don't give the enemy a foothold. Go grab that person and pray together. And even though we can't here in this room or even in our personal lives change whatever it is, you know, Hollywood's going to churn out or whatever the next big podcast is going to be or even what geopolitical leaders are going to do about things like massive wars where there's death like Israel and Ukraine and clearly there are powers of darkness and competing horrible black, just demonic interests here competing and making people suffer. We can pray and trust that God is good and working all things out for good. But we can pray for those leaders and ask that holiness, even if it's just a tiny little bit of holiness, could creep its way in there, that God would have just a little bit more mercy on us and alleviate some of that suffering. So that's what we want to do this morning. We want to step closer and closer and closer into his presence because his presence is the only thing that will ultimately get rid of any power of darkness. So if you need prayer this morning because something's bothering you, then come find some of us. The prayer team usually hangs around the room in different spots, but I'll be right up here.
far, maybe you feel pretty good and you just want to keep singing because you don't entirely know how to unpack the guy with the ponytail talking to you about demons for 40 minutes. That's fine. You just need to sing and worship. So we're going to take this time together.